Welcome to Coming Along Nicely. We're two brothers, Rich and Tim, who recently went back to school. Every week, we're discussing one thing we're learning in our classes, and we want to invite you to come along with us. If you find yourself relating to Tiny Tim, Industrial Revolution, people traded their time for money. No remorse for the pain that they cause others. Kind of the narrative is that we're all getting dumber. If you internalize that label, like it's not going to help that character trait. He puts commas everywhere. For this, I was thinking about bringing, uh, talking about The Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Mm. I don't know if it's The Christmas Carol or A Christmas Carol, actually, now that I say that. Is one of them uh, that movie that was filmed in Ohio? Or is that a Christmas story? That's, you know, I think that's a Christmas story. Yeah. Well, okay. So it doesn't really matter. I think a Christmas Carol is the one by Charles Dickens and the Christmas Carol is the one with the Muppets. Actually, that might be right. Um, But yeah, I figured, I think this might come out either right before, right after Christmas. So it'll line up. Uh, It's one of the last things we talked about in class, and I might write about it for the Substack too. So this is maybe a little bit of like a hack uh, talking it out so that I can write about it. Yeah. So the thing that I think is interesting about The Christmas Carol, there's a couple things. Obviously, probably most people know the story. Scrooge, like a he's like a tightwad, uh, and he's visited by. The three or four ghosts, depending on how you view it. Actually, are you familiar with that? The four ghost discourse? Uh, I think so. That's like the ghost of his business partner, past, present, future. Yeah. Yeah. So there's there's past, present and future, which everybody knows. But there's also, yes, uh, Marley's ghost, which is who he's visited by at the beginning, who tells him you're going to be visited by these three ghosts, past, present, future. And so just because it's kind of like a popular level story that a lot of people kind of know, there's a lot of like trivia. It's kind of, okay. So it's kind of sunken into everybody's brains that there's three ghosts, past, present, and future. And in like trivia Mm -hmm. nights and a bunch of stuff, People say there's three ghosts, but there's actually four. And so then the other side is like ardently. It's just one of those dumb things that people make that like their personality is to be like, no, actually, Christmas Carol has four ghosts. There's four ghosts. Yeah. So I've been seeing a lot of that. Um, So anyway, that's kind of the story that people probably know. By the end of it, he becomes like the TikTok. That's like the thing you sing on TikTok where it's like. The robot voice being like, did you know in Charles Dickens, the Christmas Carol, that there were actually four ghosts? Most people think there's three, the ghosts of past, present, future. But people often forget like that. I can just hear that in like the weird TikTok. And it somehow has like eight million views. Exactly. And people are like, whoa, oh, my gosh. Yeah, that just changes how I look at the whole story. That genre of like random informational videos with just b-roll footage yes yep so uh, i'm assuming people kind of know the end of the story where scrooge becomes like this generous person and he like uh gives money away i think he forgives 
some people of their debt to him and there's tiny Tim and God bless us, everyone, that whole thing. I'm not going to like totally recap. Did you it. find yourself relating to tiny Tim in the, in the story? <laughs> um, I don't think so. Why? Just because, just because you guys have the same name, I would always picture your face on tiny Tim's body. <laughs> I don't think no. So not in terms of the story, but I actually do say God bless us, everyone a lot. <laughs> like sometimes I'll sign off emails like to people I know I'll sign off God blesses everyone <laughs> oh that's awesome but not in terms of like no because he has like a leth- not lethal uh, terminal disease or something so I don't exactly relate to him but the thing about the story that's interesting okay actually I've got I think I've got three and so I'll kind of shoot through them the first, because the class was history of the English language, uh, the writing that Dickens has, on the one hand, it's it sounds a little bit like, you know, ye old English, like the way he talks, because it was written, I mean, it's technically like modern English, but I'm just saying it sounds like it was written a long time ago. But actually, there's a lot of, what we would call today like grammatical mistakes or just poor, not even grammar, but punctuation. So really, yeah, it kind of reads like, or I should say it's typed like a text in the sense that he will just like all caps, certain words, like very like Trump, you know, where it's not, Mm -hmm. you don't actually do that in formal writing. Yeah. Like Facebook too. But he will just take certain words and like all caps them. There's probably a better term for it than all caps, but you know what I mean. And then also, he puts commas everywhere. And one of the things, if you're learning to like edit or anything, you know, kind of the thing that amateur writers do is they put a comma everywhere that there's a pause. And people don't actually really know where commas belong, but they just instinctively like if there's a pause, there's a comma. Well, that's not technically correct Mm -hmm. by our standards today, but Dickens does that. Like there's so many commas throughout the story. So I just thought it was interesting because a lot of the stuff you read that's like old, you just assume that it's more it's more elevated and it's more formal and it's more this and more that. And that as we're moving on, we're kind of like roughing the edges a little bit. Yeah, like kind of the narrative is that we're all getting dumber and nobody knows how to write anymore. And language, you know, in 100 years, kids aren't even going to know how to write. That's kind of the narrative. And so it was just interesting to me to see that he was... Like to, he wasn't writing incorrectly. That's not what I'm saying, but just the things that we consider standard today weren't considered standard yet. And so, if you didn't know better, you could almost look at it and think that he's writing poorly. Like I said, it kind of reads like a text. Hmm. So, there's this, um, yeah, there's this other guy. <sighs> I mean, I don't know his name. I remember I I can maybe look it up if someone's like super interested about it. Who's listening? But it was this was he's considered one of the luckiest men alive. 
he was around you like the founding of America, um, like literally bought like a ton of like what was originally like the first Continental Congress money. And then like it tanked. He was buying it for like pennies and then was able to sell it afterwards for some like weird, stupid reason and make like a ton of money. And people were trying to like snipe him by saying like, hey, you should send bedpans to Brazil because uh, that would make you a lot of money, even though like bedpans are used to warm beds. But when he got there, they found some other weird purpose for it and like bought it super like he got he made a bunch of profit off of it, stuff like that. But he wrote weird. a memoir about himself. Yeah. And the grammar and the punctuation was like so bad that people were criticizing him about it. And he, then he wrote a second memoir and the back of it. He said, for everyone who's upset about my punctuation and grammar, use these. And then he just put a ton of periods and commas and hyphens and stuff. And he said, <laughs> just put these wherever you want to in the rest of the book. That's like a great troll. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder I hmm so when would that be roughly? Like 1800s if you had to guess. Um I know isn't the one Hamilton song go 17 1776 so somewhere yeah. around there. Yeah. Well, that's the interesting kind of cultural point is that Whenever Dickens was writing, I want to say, and just forgive me because I'm awful with dates. I want to say it was more like 1600s. Mm-hmm. If I had to place it, maybe maybe early 1700s. Uh, and a lot of our standardization actually came later in terms of it, in terms of grammar, essentially. A lot of that got standardized a little bit later after dickens and so it's interesting because i was mentioning that one there's the one narrative and this applies outside of so much more than language there's the one narrative that's like oh man things are getting worse and worse and in 50 years we don't even know where we're gonna we're gonna have devolved so much like man people language is getting worse and worse people don't know how to spell people don't know how to do this people don't know how to do that well it's just kind of that's kind of incomplete because like i said dickens one of these great writers was writing but the rules hadn't been created yet Mm. and so there's kind of this thing that i i think happens a lot where we conflate stricter with older and it's as if like just the further back in history you go, the stricter things were and by extension, the better things were, Mm. but that's not always the way it goes. Like there were great writers that were around before our particular conventions were made. And so like what I'm thinking of is religion. Like there is, you know, there is truth to the, observation if you say like man we're getting like looser morally and we don't uh as a society people don't all have the same collective sense of rules and morality that's true but what's not true is if you just use the lens that like older is stricter is better 
because mm-hmm. that's just not always, you know, our framework of what we consider like, I don't know, Western morality or uh, modern morality or whatever, like doesn't go back to year whatever and whatever BC. Like a lot of the things that we believe about work, how you behave at work, how you use your money, how you use this or that are probably more like two, three, four hundred years old because they didn't have banks, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago. They didn't have. And so I always just think it's interesting when we oversimplify it to that, like older is stricter. It's almost I keep thinking of this phrase, but I know this doesn't work. It's like hyper nostalgia almost. Hmm. That's interesting. But you've never lived there. I guess I'd just be looking back with rose-colored glasses. Like, yeah, everything must have been perfect because we can remember these good things from what's been written down. Hmm. Yeah, hyper-nostalgia. That's probably it. Because I think it is... It's a, it's a reaction. And like I said, you can look around and, I don't know, pick a certain area and you're like, oh, man, it used to be better. And that might be true, but then you just you boil it down to, oh, well, in this one case, what we used to have was better. And so now just my worldview is that, man, if we could just go back in time 100 years, everything would be better. I don't know. It's just not exactly how it works. But that's that. That's the one observation Kind of the other observation that I think is interesting, and this is actually the one I'm writing about, is that when Marley's ghost shows up at the beginning of the movie, he talks to Scrooge. He kind of is like, I'm being, I don't know if he's being haunted per se. He's he's being tormented. He's got like these chains and stuff on, and he's like, Scrooge, if you don't change, you're going to be like me someday. So he says you're going to be visited by three ghosts and he gives them, he gives Scrooge the times. So don't quote me on Mm. them, but I think he's like at at one o'clock on the first night and at one o'clock on the second night. And I think on the third night it's, it's at 12 because he says like the last, the last bell at 12 when it rings So that's three days, right? Three nights in a row, you're going to be visited by these ghosts. And I'm like our professor pointed this out to us. So I'm sure I'm not like the first person making this observation. And if I could probably read up about it online. But at the end of the story, Scrooge wakes up and he's like, oh, I'm in my room again. He like ruffles around he runs to the window and he yells outside at just a kid in the street he's like hey what day is it and the boy's like it's christmas day and so those three nights all happened in one night because it was christmas Mm -hmm. eve and it all happened and now he wakes up and it's christmas day Mm -hmm. which is that's the part that makes you wonder because you have to assume that dickens didn't do it Like he wasn't just lazy and contradicted himself and Scrooge even remarks on it. So he's like, yo, what day is it? And boys at Christmas. And he's like, wow, the spirits did it all in one night. So Hmm. he's not really waking up 
and giving a big thing like, wow, I saw these spirits. Wow, this, wow, that. The remarkable part to him is like, wow, they did it in one night. And there's something interesting there with the idea that like to him, to Scrooge, time is money. At the beginning of the story, he won't give his his worker a day off because he's like, time is, is money. That's a day that you're not working for me. And I also think he's like really holding on to his life really tightly. And so it's interesting to me that the there, there's something there where not only did he get these revelations, but it happened in a shorter they, they bent time essentially. Something about what these yeah. spirits were doing was bending time. Which then is that interesting because like if for Scrooge time is money and he considers that to be the most valuable thing, I'm guessing money. So by proxy, time is the most valuable thing. The fact that these spirits could bend time made them seem even more powerful. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I think so in a way, because I think it kind of has to do with like quality over quantity. And I don't think it's ever put exactly this way, but kind of the the one definitely one of the themes of the story is like, hey, it's better to have a little bit of life and enjoy it and to be blessed by the ghost of Christmas present. It's better to have that than to have more on paper like Scrooge, but you can't even enjoy it. And so there's yeah. obviously like this quantity over quality thing, or I guess the reverse. And so I think maybe it's a, a similar thing with time of these spirits are tapped into something and it doesn't, it's not ruled or governed by our rules. And you know what? It might be too, actually, now that I think about it. So Scrooge wakes up and his declaration, he's like, now I'm a changed man. I'm going to live in the past and the present and the future. And so maybe that's what it is, too, is he was walked through all of those things and he experienced them separately. Like past seemed like one night, present seemed like one night, future seemed like one night. But when he wakes up, he realizes that night. it was all one. And maybe that's what gives him that, uh, you know, that new mission statement. I, I really don't know. Well, maybe with that, too, like. OK, so there's going back to what you're saying about, like, being in being in the present, like, because when you said that, I was like, oh, because Scrooge was obviously in the future. But I don't know if that's necessarily true. I don't think Scrooge was saving money because of some sort of future goal. And I don't think he was necessarily like doing it because of maybe some kind of past goal. Maybe I wonder if there's this like commentary that could be said about how look, what you just said there. And Scrooge says, I'm going to live in the past and the present and the future because he wasn't living in any of those. 
because of his like hyper fixation on for him just money that was actually taking him out of past, present, and future, which is why he was like kind of decaying as a person. Yeah. Yeah, that could be true. That could be true because when Marley's ghost visits him, I think Marley says like, hey, you're not in, you're not in any better of a state than me. He's like wandering around eternity with these chains on. And I think the way it happens without checking, I think Marley is saying like, hey, you're in the same boat as me. You just don't know it yet. And I think Scrooge is the one that says like, but is it too late to change? Mm -hmm. And so Scrooge kind of already has the seed in his heart of bending time in the sense of bending uh you know bending his path through time like i'm not in a different boat than you but is it too late for me to take a new path because in that sense his mm. decisions the way he chooses to live is also you know bending time not the way that the ghosts do it but yeah, in the sense of like, whatever the opposite of determinism is, like, I can, you know, it's not all set before me. I'm not fixed to this path. I can can live differently. That's the other thing, too, is in the story, like, when he is, I forget which ghost he's with when he sees Tiny Tim die. But then in real life, when he wakes up uh, and he's like a changed man. Tiny Tim ends up not dying. So that's another example of like, yeah, maybe it was like an anti-determinism thing, which if so, it seems like he was way ahead of his time. Maybe that's just the language we have for it now. It could be. Sorry, I also got distracted because I started looking up the the passage to kind of like look through it and see if I see anything where Scrooge met Marley. Like. Sorry, my brain's fixated on something. Okay, so Marley is cursed to wear these chains as he walks through purgatory, which is like outside of time. Like it's that that's that in between heaven and like it's like that almost heaven. You've got to get off what you got in life. Um yeah. so he died. And there, you know, I'm looking at a little passage where he's like, I wear the chain I forged in life. I forged it link by link of my own free will. Um, so Marley is able to see outside of time the the shackles he was creating. And I would maybe say by proxy already wearing in like in time. Um, Scrooge is then asking is there time like you were saying, is there time for me to like change this? Cause Marley even says like, you recognize these things, you recognize these locks, don't you? And Scrooge kind of like gets freaked out. Um, so maybe there's, maybe that's even why when you see Scrooge after his visit with the three ghosts, like this is more visualized in like the movie, but I wonder if you can kind of get the sense of it in the book too, why his personality seems 
much more unfettered because he's not he's able to free himself of those unseen chains he was wearing. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing that's different, I don't. So have you read it before? Do you know or are you more familiar with the movie? I read it, but it's been a long time. The so the other thing from, uh, I guess, almost like a counseling lens is the movie portrays him. Portrays Scrooge as way more. Hmm. Like they they kind of kind of turn him up and they focus on him being cheap and, you know, whatever, all of his qualities, but they don't show all of the same nuance, I don't think, as the book does and like his past, present and future, because in Mm -hmm. in the book, he is a little bit more aware i guess of himself already and it kind of seems like he is conflicted like like you're saying he sees the chains but he's still going on forging them on himself and when he 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 expresses more like at his past for example and even at his present he's like but wait can i change but wait does it have to be this way and you kind of see the two sides of him. Whereas I think the movie is more oversimplified where he's just a hundred percent a crummy dude. And then yeah. by the end of the movie, he's all of a sudden like a great dude. It doesn't show the same. Conflict it almost seems like he doesn't really want to change until he sees in the future that he's going to die. Right. Exactly. And no one cares. That's when he's like, Oh no. So I, yeah, I think it's a little bit more balanced that way. But yeah, that's what that's what I thought was interesting from it. Hmm. <coughs> Sorry, I just choked on air. There's this line that Marley says. Um, so Scrooge says to Marley, but you were always a good band of business, Jacob. Um, and it says that Scrooge was trying to apply all of this, seeing his partner in chains to himself. And he says, but you we're always a good businessman. And then Marley says back business cried the ghost wringing its hands again. Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water and the comprehensive ocean of my business. So I think even Mm -hmm. there, like Scrooge is kind of getting, to see from Marley how like, yeah, Marley might have been a good businessman, but that part of Marley's character, his person was just a small drop in the ocean to what really matters when you get to see it outside of, you know, past, present and future. Like what really mattered, what really was his business was like mercy and charity and the welfare of mankind, the things that he had avoided in life. Hmm. Yeah. That's, that's the historical context coming out because at this time in London, I mean, industrialization was going on and people were working in factories and, Oh yeah, this is interesting. The factory 
and and the industrial revolution that's when people traded their time for money because mm. prior to that and this is one of those things that like you know it's hard to say if one is actually better than the other but they're just different prior to that if you were you know a farmer or whatever you had to you had to keep up the farm there were things you did and one of the, it's one of those things where you know if you're a farmer you're on the one hand kind of working 24/7 like that's your life but on the other hand you're regulated by the sun you know you you can't work a farmer isn't staying up grinding till 2 in the morning because they yeah their rhythms are set by the sun whereas at this point and this is dickens is definitely commenting on this in one form or another you know you've got lamps and electricity and you show up at the factory at this time on the dot and time became commodified and also like yeah you had you had people like scrooge and marley you know making all the money and the living conditions for all the workers were really poor and so that's definitely like weaved all all throughout there interesting one thing i was kind of wanting to do that ties into what i learned this week yeah was let me throw it to you no no it still it still relates if this is how we can do it you know we could mix our learnings um so this week we looked at uh personality disorders um which are so much harder than everything else to actually notice and diagnose, I think Wait a at least. So, because you, I, I just want to clarify. You talked about. I remember the word disorder, but what were we talking about before? Mental disorder. Um, these are these would all still be mental disorders. I think we were talking. Were we talking about pathology? Is that what we were talking about? Might have been. So, personality disorder is like a subset of disorders. Yes. And there's like a type disorders. There are B type disorders. Let me let me find the list of uh, of all of them real quick, because there are there there's there's a ton. Well. I guess not a ton, but there's a lot that falls under this one umbrella. Um, OK, here we go. So the personality disorders that are listed in my textbook are like paranoid personality disorder, schizoid personality disorder, schizotopal, antisocial, borderline, histrionic, narcissistic, avoidant, dependent, and obsessive compulsive. Um, so those are all the different personality disorders. Mm-hmm. And of them, the one you kind of see the most, or the two that kind of get the most talked about is like antisocial disorder, that's like your um it, so first off antisocial disorder isn't just like this person doesn't like to be social um i heard one person say how like the name antisocial disorder is kind of like troubling in itself uh because people who have antisocial disorder have like no remorse for the pain that they can cause others um this is like the sociopath or like the the psycho that you might see in like movies this is like when dexter was around how he would talk like i'm a functioning so like sociopath 
Um, that's antisocial disorder. Um, it's just that lack of like empathy and regard um, for others. And antisocial makes it seem like those like that's just a shy thing when really the name comes from that person's anti-society. Like, right. They're opposite of society. Um, yeah, I was trying to figure it out. So it, what you're saying, it's not antisocial as in not social. It's antisocial as in opposed to what's good for the social or what's good for society. Yes, exactly. And then borderline personality disorder is like another one that you see a lot. Um, and it finally kind of clicked when I heard someone talking about the the relationship between borderline personality disorder and narcissistic personality disorder and how those kind of relate. Um, they're kind of like two sides of the same coin. Cause like both of them come from this early wound of like not receiving like love and attention and care. Um, so narcissistic personality disorder turns this like outward and will blame others and not see fault in themselves and will like just go super hard on like other people have to fill my needs. I can like use other people and kind of con other people. I'm super valuable. Like, you know, they're, they're narcissistic in that sense. Borderline personality out borderline personality disorder um, is the opposite of that where instead of turning that pain outward, they turn their pain inward and they're very self-critical. So they will like go to huge lengths to try to appease and impress the people around them. Um, and they can even be very high functioning, but when they make those mistakes, it's like, they will just like martyr themselves because inside there's still that, that pain of not, receiving that love and care and attention. So that then turns into, well, it must've been something that I did. So now I've got to do all these things to try to look right. Um, and I also want to real quick, I want to take a pause. I want to say this before I even started in a lot of these videos I was watching to gain more information. I saw the trend that I hate, which is people in the comments of these videos saying, I have this disorder. I have this disorder. I have this disorder. I haven't been diagnosed. I'm working to be diagnosed. But but I have this disorder. It just hasn't been diagnosed on me yet. And that like really worries me. Um yeah. because it's kind of like I don't know. It's just I think that you can I was talking with uh with someone about this and I had said like, man, I can see a lot of myself in these disorders. And the person was saying like, well, yeah, cause I think a lot of us will find times in our life where what these people do is successful. Like where, where the things that we learn, these are survival techniques that you pick up and that people will pick them up and use them and they work for a good amount of time until you kind of learn like, oh, okay, like this doesn't work anymore and you kind of make that change. But that doesn't mean just because you've done these things or even doing these things doesn't mean you have this disorder. Like sometimes you might just have been in a time of life or a certain social situation where like that's just how you had to function. But it doesn't mean that that's the only way you can function without professional help. 
And I think that because like a lot of these things, a lot of the personality disorders can be seen in people's personalities, like without it being a disorder, there's might be a tendency to, I found it funny that I think like one of the first episodes I said how like you can watch a video on how you can watch a video describing narcissistic personality disorder. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, I know this person who has it and I have it and this person has it. But like if only 5% of the population has it, like it's probably not that you know three people who have it and you're one of them. Like you might just have been selfish before. But that doesn't yeah. mean that you're a narcissist. But if you if you internalize that label, like it's not going to help that character trait. Um, so as I'm talking about this, if you're listening and you're like, man, that kind of sounds like me, man, that kind of sounds like so-and-so. There is a great chance that it is not. You are probably not even you are probably you're fine. And if you're really worried, go to a therapist and and like kind of talk to them about how you think that you might have this, have them work with you. And if they don't diagnose you with it, don't think, well, I need help and this therapist isn't helping me because they're not giving me this diagnosis. The therapist will still help you. Consider it a great joy that you don't have that diagnosis and just work on your selfishness or yeah. work on your like your your personality, how you feel like vulnerable and maybe you don't feel like you have worth. Just work on those things. It doesn't have to be a disorder. Like, I don't know why it almost feels like we have to have disorders nowadays. Like, well, yeah, don't go to be diagnosed. Go. Mm -hmm. And if you're diagnosed then you are. And then if you're not. Yeah, I think the thing that is interesting I think the reason so this goes to uh what we're learning about with writing fiction. And I think I said already in one of the episodes, but it might it might have been the lost episode, so I don't know, about how learning how to write a fictional character. And the lies that they believe, which are the things they're motivated by, and their ghosts, which is the experiences in their past. Uh, I think I said already that learning about that kind of stuff really helps me make sense of like my actions sometimes. Because um, mm -hmm. I've just spent time thinking about like, well, what are the lies that I believe? And so then I... Because I know those things, I can catch myself being motivated by them. So anyway, what I'm the point I'm making is I think that maybe people cling to and like both of us have probably done this too. I think the reason people want to cling to those things prematurely, those those diagnoses, diagnoses, I think the, the reason people want to cling to them is that it helps them make sense of their story. And mm. if you have that disorder, then yes, being diagnosed will help you make sense of your story and will help you move forward. But if you're trying to cling to something you don't have, you know, it might give you like a cheap hit of feeling like your, your story makes sense, but also you're going to write yourself into that story. Like you're going to exactly. manifest it. Uh, yep. And so it goes back to what you were saying the one time that made a lot of sense to me of like disorders are disorders. 
and you have you have you know people have selfishness and anger and joy and happiness like in certain within certain levels and certain parameters it's not that you have that it's not that you've been selfish one time that makes you a narcissist like you're saying it's if it gets out of order Mm -hmm. yes exactly and i like the idea too that we're talking about you know scrooge his whole story his the literal story of christmas tale is defined by him being told that he's got these chains on him and then he has to work through them. And now you mentioned too the idea of like how people will kind of like put chains on themselves. I kind of think like, because it's more comfortable to have identified chains than unidentified chains. So if your life isn't working for you, if you feel like this general sense of like unhappiness or questioning about who you are, like, I feel like I see a lot of this in people who are like 30 and younger Like, I don't see a lot of people who are older dealing with, like, wondering if they have personality disorders. In fact, I think those older generations kind of look back at us like, what are you guys doing? Like, every time I call dad after WebMDing myself, he's like, stop, you're stupid. (laughs) Um, He doesn't say I'm stupid. My dad loves me. But he knows that that's the thing I do. You know, I get hyper worried about stuff when it comes to that kind of thing. So I feel like millennials and younger have this tendency to see these disorders and like personify with them. Cause like you said, maybe, maybe it's more comfortable to personify with chains and know than to not know. Like it, maybe it's more comfortable to identify with narcissistic personality disorder than it is to just have the unknown of why am I selfish? Yeah. And I think that people do, uh, you know, I think I, I said the fast food analogy. It's like maybe fast food is the right analogy, or maybe it's also like a crutch analogy, but you know, human beings do have to make peace with, the world and make peace with themselves, and maybe it's a way to instead of having to like really look within like really look in a mirror you know some of these labels can just be the thing you like just reach out and and cling to that's the less i don't want to say painful but it's the it's the it's the quick solution to making sense of yourself as opposed to you know whatever like wrestling with your demons that sort of thing we really do like the inverse of what was happening with scrooge because with him it's presented to him as these are your chains and this is the path you're on and he's asking like well can i change it you know that's his that's what he wants to do and what we're saying is a lot of times we have this wide open view and we want to narrow it and so we find like kind of deterministic things to explain you know like oh well my brain just works this way i'm a narcissist so that's 
that's me. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the opposite. Yeah, we almost like Scrooge asks if he can change the path in front of him. And we almost look for things to explain why why we're on the path we're on. Mm, and you yeah. had said too, like the less painful option. I think I think that's right. I think it is less painful to apply a disorder to yourself because then you have peace of knowing. Like I think our our the time we live in there's so many things to know. I mean, we've heard this before. You've heard this if you've been to any church service or if you've watched any TED talk or watched any like TikTok that's on self-help. We have so many choices available to us that kind of creates this paralysis, this like fear of the unknown. Um, I think for a lot of people, it might be more comfortable just to know something and to cling to even a negative personality trait than it is to do that hard work yourself. Like you had said too, the idea of like the ghosts of your past. I think there's a, there's a therapy type called narrative therapy where it's understanding like your story, where it comes from these, like these consistent things you say to yourself and you live out over and over and over again, that can be very hard work. I think that is harder work and more painful work, truly understanding yourself than it is to just, see your symptoms and find more fake peace in saying, well, this is why I'm the way I am is because I have borderline personality disorder. Cause then even, even then, if you just apply the disorder to yourself, you're not looking, you're not doing what Scrooge did. You're not looking to past, present and future. You're just finding comfort in the present of, well, now at least I just know I'm the way I am for a reason instead of finding out the reasons why you're the way you are. Yeah. And pain, it's pain in the sense that like I experience pain with writing. So it's, it's a different use of the word and maybe there is a better word that I'm not thinking of, but I, a lot of times the thing I've had to learn about myself is that if I'm procrastinating from doing like creative work, it's that there is something painful about like searching in yourself. Like you, you start with a blank page and you need to look within to put something on the page and then you put it out into the world and you find out like exactly what, you know, your worth in the sense of uh, like what I'm doing now, doing a lot of independent stuff, you put it out and you see how many people read it when it's just you and your, your ideas compared to mm. what I can do really easily. And what I used to do a lot more is uh, find, just find different things to be busy with. So if I've got four hours on my calendar, you know, the more painful quote option would be, yeah, sitting down and writing the things that I've been needing to write, whether it's music or whatever. But it's very easy. It would be very easy to be like, oh, I, yeah, I've got these four hours, but I'm going to find this thing to do for school or uh, this homework assignment or organize this thing because it's it's the same thing. It's the same level of like 
I can just do this and feel satisfied, feel like I did something uh, as opposed to like the the harder work. So that's that's the pain we're talking about. It's not like pain that's going to cause you physical harm or pain that is like a uh, your body telling you. Well, it kind of is your body telling you not to yeah. do something. It is fight or flight. Yeah, because I think where a lot of these disorders come from is. So let's use like borderline personality disorder, for instance. Uh, actually, let's use a different one. Let's mix it up. Um, let's use let's use avoidant personality disorder. Um, once again, I'm a student, so if some of this is wrong, I'm sorry. This is my explanation. This is how I can make sense of this after a chapter of reading. <laughs> um, but avoidant personality disorder, you have this intense anxiety and fear of social situations. Well, why is that? Is that just because the person is shy? Like, if that's all it is, then like, Tim, you might have avoidant personality disorder. But it's it's not just that. It's that this person experienced some sort of pain. Um, and in experiencing that pain, their brain and their body you could say says, wow, that really hurt. Wow, that really put us in a very uncomfortable and painful situation. We're going to do whatever we can to avoid that again. And it's, so then it's, it's not necessarily even a conscious decision they're making to avoid these situations. Like it might be a little conscious, but it's also a lot of subconscious and pre-programmed fight or flight that when the social situation pops up, when the invite comes, when they're in a social place, their brain and their body is putting them in this fight or flight spot of before we were hurt. So let's get out of here. Let's avoid where pain has happened before. Um, and I think that can apply to a lot of these other disorders too. Is like our bodies are programmed, thankfully, to help us to avoid pain. Like you touch the stove when it's hot when you're a kid. Well, I'm not going to do that again. That same thing that helps in that regard can hurt when those survival techniques you learned um, stop helping you survive. Like avoided personality disorder might it, it's because it's a disorder. It's like, well, it must be always bad, but it helped all these disorders at some point helped the person to survive. The problem is, is that now those things are now a hindrance to them thriving. They no longer need those things to survive. And because of that, like, that's where it's like it's now a disorder. It's now become something where that person needs to unlearn not even a conscious decision to act a certain way, but a biological reprogrammed this is what I do to survive, which is why a lot a lot of people might identify with these disorders when they don't have them because they they do some of these actions. It's not that you do these actions. It's that you're at this point consciously and subconsciously programmed to do these things. Yeah, and you're you're not just doing them in a way that you know, you can a listener can identify with one of these things, but they might be doing it in the way that still does help them survive. The disorder is when you're doing the thing that used to help you survive, but actually you're doing it against yourself. Exactly. Yes. Um so something I thought would be interesting for us to do is if I look at and that's why I wanted to do all this warning. That's why we did all this warning, people. 
We don't know because I thought it might about. be cool to look at narcissistic personality disorder and borderline personality disorder and see if Scrooge fits into either of those. Mm. But but if you're listening, just because I start leading reading off diagnostic like diagnostic criteria, you might be like, oh, my gosh, I do those things. You don't have it. <laughs> you, you don't. We spend a lot of time talking about warnings and talking about false labeling because I I think both of us want to be sure that you don't hear this fun little activity of us doing what we said we shouldn't do a couple of weeks ago where we look back at past characters and say that they have disorders. Um, this is more for you to go, oh, cool. That's what this disorder might look like. This is not for you to say, oh, my gosh, I have the same thing. Or, or do you want to avoid doing this at all, Tim? What do you think? No, I mean, it's a fictional character, so I think that's perfectly. The problem is when you start doing it to historical characters as if they were fictional characters. Oh, yes, yes. Okay, well, let me look at this real yeah, quick. Yeah, no, let's, Wait, let's I can hear actually. Him. Okay, I'm opening them up side by side. Okay, so for narcissistic personality disorder, this comes from a vulnerability. Now, you've read the book, so I'm going to read the criteria and you kind of tell me where you think it might fit. Um, the vulnerability comes from uh, self-esteem, which makes the individuals with narcissistic personality disorder very sensitive to injury from criticism or defeat. Um, this can be severe impairment. They're not just selfish sometimes, severe impairment. Um, and it may include marital problems and interpersonal relationship conflicts. Um, they may face occupational difficulties and show an unwillingness to take risks in competitive or other situations in which defeat is possible. And individuals with narcissistic personality disorder may have more difficulties to the aging process, especially when it comes to new physical or occupational limitations related to aging. So that's narcissistic personality disorder. Now we'll look at borderline personality disorder. Uh, it's typically characterized by chronic instability in adolescence and early adulthood. Individuals can have serious affective instability, impulsivity, including self-harm and suicide attempts and high levels and use of healthcare utilization. Um, they have a significant impact on an individual's social and occupational functioning, including recurrent job losses. Uh, there might be premature death uh, from suicide and co-occurring depressive disorders and substance use disorders. And then studies have shown that patients with BPD, can have progressive improvement and remission as time goes on. Um, so there's kind of this like emotional instability, very high highs where you're the best of the best. Like you might see someone you know, and they might be the best of the best of the best. And then they maybe don't respond to your text message. And all of a sudden you are the worst person who have cut them. Cause similarly, there's an injury from early on that says you're not good enough. And now you're trying to avoid that same injury um, by kind of being very intensely involved in people's lives. And then if people cause you an injury, you will cut that person off because they might injure you again. So either of those seem, seem like Scrooge. So I'm, yeah, I'm looking through the story because 
obviously old Scrooge, not Scrooge once he changes. Right. And I'm going to give the same disclaimer, too, that like, I don't know this story inside and out, but I almost. Part, some of what you were saying with uh, narcissism. Uh, sounded a little bit more likely in the sense that the ghost of Christmas past takes him to his boarding school and mm. uh, Scrooge is there as like a little boy. And then his, I think it's his little sister runs in and says like, you know, come home, you're coming home. And she talks about like dad is way, uh, he's way better than he used to be. Like he's kind now. It might be like an abusive. I don't think it says abusive, but that's kind of like maybe hinted at. And so I don't know. Weren't you saying something? One of the things about narcissism was like lack of affection or something that it stems from. Um, the, the disorder is caused to, it's caused by like a sensitive or being very sensitive to injury from criticism or defeat. Impairment can be severe, includes marital and interpersonal relationship conflicts. Um, so honestly, that sort of injury in the past during like childhood or adolescence could kind of be either of them. It's all in how Scrooge responds to it. Scrooge potentially having a rough home life and being sent to border school. Does that does that create the story in Scrooge's mind of people are going to hurt me and to protect myself, I will be a people pleaser and be and do whatever I can for other people until they hurt me. That's BPD. Or is it people hurt me? People aren't trustworthy. I have to kind of shell up around myself and put myself on top in order to control myself from being hurt again. Yeah. And to me, I think you're right in saying that it like theoretically could be either one based on his childhood, but BPD just doesn't sound at all like Scrooge to me. No, it it doesn't sound like he's hard on himself. It's more that, yeah, he uses money or whatever to measure his life or to compensate for something. Yeah. Like he's saying, I'm not going to go back to dad because dad can't change or stepfather or whoever. Like they can't change. They're bad. I'm also looking too, though, and it might be. I don't I I don't remember if the schoolmaster was like rough, too. So he might have been getting it both places, like at home and at school, which is kind of just worse all around, obviously. True. Well, let me, okay, so let's look at this. Let's move ahead with narcissistic personality disorder. According to the DSM-5, um, a pervasive pattern of grandiosity, need for admiration, lack of empathy, beginning by early adulthood and present in a variety of contexts, as indicated by five or more of the following. So there's nine things. Scrooge needs to hit five. So if you think Scrooge hits one of these, just say something and we'll we'll stop or we'll just make note of it. Um, has a grandiose sense of self-importance. Example, exaggerates achievements and talents, expects to be recognized as superior without uh, commensurate achievements. I don't two. think so. You don't think that one? No. Okay, two. 
is preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance, beauty, or ideal love? I don't think so. You don't think so? I is he, I don't know. Is he ahead. occupied with fantasies? I'm trying to... If he is, that's probably established at the beginning. But I... To me, I don't know. Fantasy has like a like a daydreamy, like a wide open kind of tone to it that I don't I just don't know if he has that. But what what are you thinking? Well, I was thinking of the the ideal love thing because there wasn't there someone from the past who he loved and it didn't work out between the two of them. And there's kind of like this pining type thing. Yes, I don't remember exactly where it is in the story, but he had like either a lover or a wife or something. And then at some point uh, he runs into her husband or maybe maybe somebody else runs into her husband and like reports back to him. But yeah, either way, there is something some sort of lost love. I could potentially see if he's not able to move on from that, that could be this ideal of like, she's the ideal and I need someone to love me like that person loved me or need this person to love me. Like no one else can kind of fit that perfect mold. And also, I I don't know. I, I think looking back, I guess I can't say for sure with fantasies, but he's definitely shelling up all this money around him for some reason. But but yeah, okay, we'll move on. We'll say that that one's a no. We'll we'll keep it. No, I I think it's probably a yes now that you think about it, because now that you say it that way, uh, I do remember I don't. Okay, so I don't remember where it is in the story, but I do remember. In the scene with that girl, I feel like that is like the turning point that's presented of when he starts I think he starts replacing his love of her with the love of money. So actually, it's probably Mm. yes on number two. Okay. Okay, so number three. Believes that he or she is special and unique and can only be understood by or should be associated with other special or high-status people. Don't know. I'm kind of with you on that one. We don't see that side of Scrooge. We know that he doesn't really relate well with the people who work for him. But we don't see him like thinking he should be a part of high society. He kind of just goes home and eats his porridge. Yeah, he's very matter of fact. Yeah. Um, Okay, so number four requires excessive admiration. I Hmm, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so either. I think that the people he who work for him respect him or at least treat him with respect. But I don't think at least in the book we don't see him requiring people to like think of him highly. I don't think he cares. Yeah, I don't think so either. Okay. So, 5 has a sense of entitlement, for example, unreasonable expectations of especially especially favorable treatment or automatic compliance with his or her expectations. 
This one might be closer because in the beginning when the I don't the guy who works for him when he's asking off for Christmas he is uh you know Scrooge has the incredibly high expectation of you should be working for me you don't need a day off and mm-hmm. so this one isn't like a a slam dunk to me but it's probably I would lean towards yes what do you think okay no I can agree with that so so far we only have two right yeah okay okay this is another thing I thought of that might relate back to three or four thinking you're special or unique and can only be understood by that or requiring excessive admiration I don't know if this is a personality trait or what would be common of anybody but when he sees his grave, he kind of talks a lot about how there's no one at his grave. Like there's no one there at all to be sad or upset that he's died. I don't know if he's expecting that the whole town should show up because he's dead. Um, I think it that might just be more normal. I think if anybody went to the future and saw their gravesite and no one was there, they'd be upset. So I don't think that that yeah checks either of those boxes i'm with you because what happens before that is he's seeing all of these families he's seeing all these people who don't have much enjoying each other's presence so i think that's Mm. what he's missing i don't like you said i don't think he's expecting some like parade in his honor or anything okay so so far we're at two out of nine um so number six is interpersonally exploitative uh, exploitative. Sorry, can't say words. Uh, for example, takes advantage of others to achieve his or her own needs. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so we're at three. Um, seven, lacks empathy, is unwilling to recognize or identify with the feelings and needs of others. Probably. I guess I don't know where the line is on that one because... Like I was saying, in the book, he is like he's not a very empathetic person, but there is like some conflict within him. Hmm. I kind of lean towards yes. For the same reason of like, you know, he's got this family man who's asking off for Christmas. And he doesn't seem to understand why it would be important for that family man to be off for Christmas. Um, And in change Scrooge, when we do see him change, he seems so impacted by, you know, tiny Tim, the sick little boy and the family working so hard. Um, That seems to be such an aha moment where he finally has that empathy of like, oh, wow. Yeah, you're probably right. So does that put us at four? Uh, yes. Okay, so we've got two more. Is often envious of others or believes that others are envious of him or her? I don't think. Yeah, I don't think we see that in the book. And then finally, shows arrogant, haughty behaviors or attitudes. Hmm. I guess like, how is that defined? Arrogant, haughty behaviors. So I think that's like 
looking down on people, self-importance, like probably arrogant, haughty behaviors. Like someone might be trying to explain why they're doing something or why something happened. It's just, it's unreasonable. There can be no explanation for it. I feel like this one, I could go either way. And going either way is the difference between him having it or not. Because we're at four. And so I, if we decide yes, that's kind of like, where I'm at too. Yeah. Because I'm trying to think of instances where he was arrogant or haughty. Like, like the closest thing I can think of is when. Uh, people are like saying Merry Christmas or whatever. And he says, you know, humbug. But I don't know if like that, I would, I would characterize that as like, he's a crotchety old guy. I don't think that's arrogant. Like, yeah, I don't think it's arrogant. I think it would be arrogant if he was like, someone was like, Merry Christmas. And he's like, bah humbug. And the person's like, Christmas is awesome. It's a holiday of, being with you know your family and then he went off on like explaining why christmas is not that and had this really like strong belief of how christmas is like terrible yeah and he might do that a little bit but i think what he his explanation is that it's just a day like any other day but uh a, a separate thing related to arrogance is like he doesn't use all of his money it's not like he's living extremely lavishly. Like, I'm pretty sure he uh, doesn't. He's just like, yeah, he just eats porridge. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I think because of that, and because we are honestly kind of shaky on a few other ones, I don't think Scrooge has narcissistic personality disorder. Yeah, I'd agree. I think this could be a good example of how Scrooge might be a little selfish. And he might even be a, maybe a little nar narcissistic at times, but it's not some huge disorder where it's the only way he can function. Actually, strangely right. enough, too, narcissistic personality disorder is one of the least successfully treated disorders. <laughs> um, I was about to ask that. Yeah. Just because like people with it have that hard time because of that self-injury in the past. It, it's really hard for them to open up and say that they're the thing that's wrong, you know? Um, so, yeah, hmm. so I think Scrooge gets off the hook on this one. There it was cool it. to look through, but I, I think, you know, I think he's got good chance of being able to change. We'll have to finish the book and find out. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully uh, we're not completely mischaracterizing the story, but I was, I am like scanning through it as we're talking and I'm pretty sure we're at least being reasonable. Yeah. We're being reasonable and not giving him a disorder diagnosis. So he looks out on that one. <sighs> but, but yes, yeah, so that's all really I learned this week. Um, other than that, just got the exam coming up and then I'm done. Done for this semester. Nice. Yeah. When do you, how long of a break do you have? Good question. That is probably something I should look into. Still have not. Um, I probably should out. figure that out so I don't 
just not show up to my next couple classes. Yeah. And that is the episode. Thanks again for listening. Hope you guys enjoyed it. We'll see you guys on the next one.